You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Bay, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also, the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN. And I gotta say, Frank, I feel a little bit dirty saying this one. Um, but ESPN Fond du Lac, uh, Fond du Lac is a huge place and somewhere that I shouldn't say huge, but it, it's a big enough place that people know. Like, this isn't ESPN, Wyota, Weota, whatever it was earlier today. Um, so, like, I feel a little bit guilty because this isn't my goal in ESPN affiliates to do uh, larger cities that people may know. Like, Final Lake is. Eh, People know it. It exists. Um, So I I feel a little bit guilty for it, but still, um, I'm reporting from the ESPN uh, Fond du Lac affiliate for today. Um, And yeah, I feel a little bit guilty, but I am happy to say Frank Madden, the founder of Brew Hoop, and my good friend is back today. Frank, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Um, You know, so little has happened in the week (laughs) or so since I've talked to you. Um, You know, normally the if you, if we're away a week, there's there's just so much to get caught up on. But uh, since we are in late July, there's obviously not as much. Um, and I know you covered, you know, some of the quote unquote breaking news. Uh, you had you had to get in the emergency Trevon 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 I think Trevon, Trevon Duval sure. Trevon yeah Trevon Duval uh, emergency pod yesterday since uh, Bucks Nation. Uh, needs to know how to feel about that one. So, um, you know, any any roster move is interesting, and uh, that one, yeah, that was interesting. Sure, why not? Right? Um, might as well, you know, roll roll the dice. As, as I tweeted, I think um, always interesting to roll the dice on on a guy who's you know sort of high pedigree, top ten recruit type player um, who has physical tools. Which certainly, I think those two things are true about Trayvon Duval. Um, you know, whether he can ever actually turn those tools and pedigree into um you know nba value is uh, is obviously a big question but um you know i think certainly certainly will be interesting to see how much uh we see him with the bucks because i think as you you pointed out you know the bucks after the one year for in the first year of two ways they had a uh, a penchant for uh for using guys on two ways and actually playing them a lot so um, he is Trevon Duval is certainly not a guy you would look at as a, as someone I think you'd expect to see really play much at all with the Bucks just because they've got 15 point guards and he's like a super raw 19 year old kid. Um, yeah. So he may be a guy that you'd think would be more you know more likely to spend more time with uh, with the herd um, and and just sort of focus on development. But who knows, right? I mean, I think I think philosophically it's interesting with. Um, with these two-way guys because you know like Xavier Munford is an interesting contrast right because he's you know his mid-20s more of a I guess I don't know if known quantity is the right word but you know I think there's there's an obvious sort of dichotomy between teams that try to sign very young players like guys who just you know came out and were like undrafted 
like a Duval type, who are obviously much longer term projects, right? I mean, the odds of any point guard, any rookie point guard, 19 year old point guard being useful in the NBA are very low, much less one that wasn't even drafted. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it's it's definitely a longer term play for a guy like him. Um, but you know, with two ways, like we saw with the Bucks last year, I mean, they were they were kind of about like, all right, let's let's see if this guy's can play at all. Let's see what they can do. You know, Gary Payton the second. Um, I guess Sean Kilpatrick, you know, uh, eventually Munford, Marshall Plumley. Um, did I miss anybody? Was that? Did I? Were those? Um, who else? Who else was a two-way? Um, oh, Joel Ballenboy, um, yep. who got a little little bit of run. Um, spent a fair bit of time with uh, with the team. So yeah, I mean, it's it, philosophically it's interesting because I think with guys who are like in their early to mid twenties who've had a couple of years of pro experience, you probably are more comfortable kind of playing kind of the sink or swim game and just sort of saying like, all right, let's have these guys up for practices let's evaluate them let's figure out like is it is it worth you know playing getting them through the 45 days and actually considering giving them an nba contract versus a guy who's like 19 i mean man he would have to really really elevate his game and and pan out quickly in order to kind of make that type of decision so so yeah i think it'll be interesting just philosophically do the bucks kind of play it slow and and make this sort of really a year-long project or do they um, do they try to actually figure out what, what he is sooner, um, which is just difficult given his age and kind of profile as a player. So, yeah, I, I won't pretend to know that much about Duval other than my, uh, you know, watching of YouTube clips and reading <laughs> the Stepien and, um, you know, our friend Cole Zwicker's comments, which obviously um, I think there are some good reasons why he was not drafted. But um, by the same token, I mean, you know, a guy who put up 10, 10 points, five assists um, for a Duke, a Duke team that obviously was, you know, pretty damn good. And there may be something there, right? There, there's some tools there. There's something to work with. But um, now it's up to the Bucks and new coaching staff and and the herd to to figure out can they mold that uh, that lump of clay into uh, into something resembling an NBA player. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's really the interesting thing with him is you know when you when you think about what the Bucks had done with that two way the last year, like. Again, we don't. This isn't a five-year sample. This is a one-year sample. We only know what they did last year, and uh, last year they they used two ways more efficiently at the at the NBA level than just about anyone. Like they used those forty-five days up, and um, I kind of mentioned it on yesterday's podcast. But you know, like they they squeezed all the juice out and discarded whatever fruit they were squeezing at the time. Like that that was kind of how they they chose to work with two-way contracts. And I just feel like like Duval is such a you know, such a, a detour from that. Like that, that isn't what, to me, that isn't the most effective way to use him that you, you don't want to get through your 45 days as quickly as possible with him. I think you'd probably want to have him stick around a little bit longer. You probably want to, you know, actually prioritize some of the teaching you want to prioritize, um, you know, working on that development with him. And I think that makes for, you know, just a really interesting case study because you have to figure out, is this something that we can do? Uh, we've talked this year about, you know, looking at Mike Budenholzer and the idea that, you know, he's gone after some more NBA ready guys uh, in free agency with uh, Lopez, with Ilyasova. Is this the spot where he 
attempts to find a project? Is this the spot where he attempts to find a, a Hawks University guy? Is this the is this the spot where he attempts to find someone's shot that he can remake? Because you know Duval might need that. He might need. Uh, he he definitely does need. <laughs> like yeah. he. To, for him to be successful at the next level, like he needs a new jump shot. So um, is this kind of the spot where all of that Hawks University stuff kind of comes through, uh, which to me is really interesting because he is kind of uh, the the first guy that we see being more of a project, being more of a guy that uh, you would want Mike Boonholzer and his people to attempt to get through to, to you know attempt to uh, kind of mold and and make a new player. So to me, it's, it's incredibly interesting to see kind of what happens with him. Um, even if it is, you know, just a two way guy, I, I understand. Uh, and some of you may be saying you're reaching it's July 25th. You need content. So this is why you're breaking that down. But to me, it is really interesting because, uh, that, can kind of underscore the Hawks University stuff where, you know, maybe you won't see that with Ilyasova, you won't see that with Lopez, you'll just see guys that are ready to play. Um, you know, maybe Duval is one of these people where uh, you get to see some more of that developmental stuff. So I do think it is kind of interesting there. Um, the other thing that I mentioned yesterday on the podcast was Chris Middleton extension. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I just kind of went through and explained, you know, Chris Middleton is of is eligible for an early, early extension, um, you know, as, as people are. And uh, the big thing is I think people look at, I think the latest rumor was Tobias Harris at four years, 80 million and think, Oh, that that's the same number as Chris Middleton could get, and it's not. It's you know 125 percent of the current deal uh, that a particular player has. In Chris Middleton's case, uh, his average per year is about 14 million, so that would take him up to about 17 and a half million, which would take him to four years, 70 million. Um, and if you're Chris Middleton, there's literally no reason to ever take a four-year, 70 million dollar extension. It just doesn't make any sense. You are worth way more than that. Um, so I, I kind of just broke that down. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add um, other than, you know, just kind of the, I mean, to me, it, it seems to me like the common sense idea that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Chris Middleton. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, this is the, 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 the downside of having a cheap current contract and his contract is he has a declining contract. So this year and next year are the lowest, I believe the lowest numbers of, of his full five year, $70 million deal that he previously signed. So um, because his, his number is only 13 million, he can only be offered 120% of that as a starting salary in an extension. So his starting salary can only be 15.6 million. And then, you know, 8% raises on top of that only gets you to, to about 70 million. And, you know, we heard the news about Jimmy Butler turning down whatever it was, 100 or 110 million over four years, and that's because Jimmy's a max guy, and he's going to get way more than that if he just waits. Um, and, and obviously, whatever extensions you know bring you cer- certainty, right? If you have injury concerns, things like that, there's obviously value in locking in money um, if you have concerns about that. But most of these guys, I mean, Chris is 26, um, going on 27. You know, Butler's a little older than that, but you know, these guys are, you know, they, they've had at least one big contract, so they're willing to kind of roll the dice and. Um, I mean, for Chris, I really don't know what his market will be next summer. I think um, I, I would not be at all surprised if 
the Bucks, you know, if he's a, a 1201 signing, assuming that, you know, sort of everything continues as, as expected and he's isn't, you know, part of some big blockbuster trade or something like that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if a, a year from now he's opting out. Cause again, why, why would he ever take that $13 million final year of his contract? There's no reason, yeah. right? It's, you can make way more money. Um, I think his max would project based on current cap numbers for next year to be like around like 33 million. So just to give you an idea of how huge, you know, the, the upper bound of his number is, um, obviously I, I would not expect him to get <laughs> the, that, the lower bound of four years. 70 is half of that. <laughs> it's half of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it's um, not yeah, close. His, his, his max starts at over two X what the bucks could offer as a first year extension yeah. number. So just to, yeah, put that in perspective. Um, but but I don't know. I mean, I think again, like the Bucks kind of lucked out last time because they got him at twelve oh one for on his last contract for a very reasonable number. And this time around, yeah, you're. You, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, and, and obviously, we'll see kind of how Chris plays this year. You know, knock on wood, he's healthy and and elevates his game. And if he can be an all star, hey, I mean, that's great. It also doesn't make him any cheaper. Um, but certainly nothing would really surprise me as far as what kind of number he might get. Um, again, I would not expect like a full max contract. But again, with a lot of teams having cap space, um, you know, Chris Middleton at 27 next summer is going to be a really attractive piece given the way he plays. And, um, you know, again, there are going to be a lot of very good players also available next summer. So the supply and the demand will be will be relatively high, but um, I think if if the Bucks want to lock him up right away, um, they're they're going to have to pay for it, right? And that that could mean a contract that averages. I mean, I would be very surprised if he signed for an average salary of less than twenty five million dollars. And again, I don't I don't know if he could have gotten that this summer just because money was so much tighter. But next summer. Um, he very easily could get an average salary of 25 million and quite possibly for a bit more. And, and for the bucks to lock him in um, without him even taking meetings, then again, you, you probably got to pay more for that. Right. Um, so yeah. again, I know, I know people kind of are going to, are going to shudder at hearing those kinds of numbers for, for Chris Middleton. But um, again, this is just sort of the reality um, of, of what it takes to, to again, especially when you have a situation where, Man, if you lose Chris Middleton, again, you, you'd have cap space at that point. Um, you could potentially open up something approaching $30 million in cap space if you lose Chris Middleton. But, you know, then the question is, just, well, who are you going to get that's better than Chris Middleton for $30 million, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. always a, a good thing. If you don't want to pay Chris Middleton $30 million, then, you know, do you think you can actually go get Kemba Walker for $30 million? Kemba's a couple years older and has no connection to Milwaukee, whereas Chris does, you know, it seems like Chris likes playing for the Bucks. Um, so that, that's tough, you know, and, and again, I think people get excited by the possibility of what, what you might be able to do with it. But, um, again, actually putting that to work and actually bringing in a guy worthy of a number close to that is, uh, is, is really difficult. So, um, so I guess, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. I was going to say some people have, you know, hopped in my mentions and been like, oh, Chris Middleton isn't worth, you know, whatever number it may be, whether that's, uh, whether that's a max or whether that's the 25 million number you had kind of mentioned. And, you know, the, I think the, the most immediate reaction to saying he isn't worth that is one, if he isn't worth that, who is? And two, 
what is he worth to you if he isn't worth that? Because, uh, I mean, I, I just think you, you look through the rest of the NBA, and uh, I tweeted it out two days ago. Uh, Chris Middleton is a top 40 to 50 NBA player, and I said 40 to 50 to make sure that people didn't argue with me about, oh, Chris Middleton is not that good, blah, blah, blah. Like, 40 to 50, to me, felt safe. That felt like, you know, uh, me going to the low end of that. And oddly enough, people argued back and said, he's better than that. Uh, Chris Middleton is a top, like, 30 player. And that was the first time I, I think I've ever experienced Buck's internet arguing to me that, that Chris Chris Middleton is more valuable than I'm valuing him as, um, which was a, a fun kind of strange uh, turn on things. But I, I do think when you look through kind of all of the numbers, when you look through uh, just kind of Chris Middleton's value and you th think through what's the number that you can get someone at, well, you know, 25 for Chris Middleton might not be the worst thing. Um, in fact, that might be a good thing. Uh, and, and you try to think through exactly what the number is. So I, I just think it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch. Um, I don't think we're going to find anything out uh, about it this off season. Uh, I don't think we're going to learn really anything, whether that's Chris Middleton saying he's going to opt out at the end of next season, whether that's Chris Middleton turning down an extension. Like if any of those things happen officially, I don't think it really teaches us anything because, well, I think we can all kind of predict exactly what's going to happen and understand uh, what Chris Middleton should or shouldn't do. So um, we can leave that there for now. All right. Uh, we've um, been. I, the only thing I'd add, I mean, as far as, as ranking, so Last two years, Rob Mahoney and Ben Golliver from SI do their top 100. Last year, Chris Middleton, they ranked 35th. The year before that, 39th. So, yeah. um, you know, again, like th those guys, I, I mean, those guys sort of famously like Chris Middleton. Uh, they, I think they would agree that they are Chris Middleton appreciators. But, um, again, they're obviously smart basketball guys. They're, they're not Bucks fans, right? They're, they can't can't say that they are biased in the same way <laughs> that we might be um and obviously they've they've considered chris a top 40 player the last couple of years and um you know my guess is he'll probably be in the similar range again this coming year if you know and, and depending especially on whether you buy that whether you how much you sort of buy into his playoff performance the human know, flame floor like he was he was yeah. incredible during that playoffs yeah. yeah yeah and to be honest i think see i would say this though too i mean i I, I like Chris Middleton a lot, obviously. I value him greatly. Um, it's kind of interesting because Chris Chris's season last year statistically was clearly like his best, you know, just especially from a raw number standpoint, right? Like some of his advanced metrics, like his RPM fell off. Um, and I think hinted at really some frustration there was because I think defensively, I think he even admitted his defense, he was not you know he i was i think i'd say that was probably his worst defensive season yeah. in a few years probably and then um i think obviously his shooting just you know i mean again he ended up what like 36 percent from three but yep. struggled relative to his high standards for most of the year and so it was a weird season because it was a season where from so much of it we felt like man when is chris middleton <laughs> finally gonna kind of hit his stride yeah. and you know the irony is he puts up numbers that are still extremely impressive he was very efficient scoring even with the fact that he's a mid-range jump jumper dependent guy who doesn't shoot enough threes um and so it's it, it's it's definitely interesting because 
it was not a like oh everything went perfect for Chris Middleton's season. It was a man Chris Middleton put up a pretty damn impressive numbers and yet we still kind of were left wanting more. You know, we yeah. still felt like we could have gotten more out of that year. So, you know, the good and the bad, right, is that I think we don't, I, I, like, I don't think we should let the fact that Middleton just made all of his mid-range jumpers in the playoffs kind of detract or sort of distract from that because, again, Chris was great in the playoffs, but, I mean, I don't know. I just felt like a lot of the shots just went in, which, I mean, that's the name of, that's the, the point of the sport. But, but also on the flip side, uh, I don't know. I feel like that sort of papered over a lot of the heartburn people had during the season, which I think in part was justifiable. Um, I think he. So, I don't. I don't know if last season was. I don't know if last season. I mean, most people are gonna. If you just look at his basketball reference page or his, his stats, you'd say, "Oh, last year was definitely his best season." But um, I think, as far as all around game, all around impact, I think you can make a very good case, especially looking at the advanced numbers, that he was probably better the previous couple of years. And um, you know, obviously that in a way that's a negative. But on the flip side, I think it says that Chris still has. Chris, we can get we can see a much better Chris Middleton than we saw last year, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't know, like it's it's really tough to think through Middleton because he, in my mind, is an elite shooter, and just kind of has been throughout his time in Milwaukee. And last year, the forms in which he was an elite sh- shooter were a little bit different. If that makes any sense, that you know. He didn't shoot as well from the three-point line, but also he had his best season from mid-range ever, and he was one of the best mid-range shooters in the entire league. Um, as much as we we talk about the you know tough shot express and you know how bad that can be, well, you know when Chris Middleton is one of the best mid-range shooters in the entire league and does so incredibly efficiently, even though they are bad shots, um, you know just kind of from a you know, an analytical standpoint, well, he still had a great season from there. So I don't know. It, 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 to me, it's really difficult to square because he was not an elite shooter in the way that he's been an elite shooter in the past, but he was an elite shooter last year in ways that he hadn't been an elite shooter in the past. So, uh, I think the optimist in you says, whoa, um, put together that, elite shooting from mid-range off the dribble isolation with an elite shooting three-point season which he's done in the past and you got yourself a pretty special player there (laughs) you got yourself a a 22 23 point per game guy uh because he's able to do both of those things um you know the pessimist would say well you know if he's only able to do one then you know you got to figure out which one of those you want and maybe he can't do both those at the same time but I just think it'll be uh, kind of interesting to watch and see where he goes. Obviously, he has Team USA coming up here uh, the next two days, and we'll see kind of how that goes for him and you know how he plays against some of those guys and whether or not he's able to make some of those rosters. But I think an interesting season for Chris Middleton coming up because uh, as we think about Mike Boonholzer, well, he, he likes to shoot threes. Um, he likes his guys to shoot threes. So there, there could be, you know, maybe, uh, I don't even want to say, uh, you know, a regression to the mean or anything like that, but like the thing that we've always wanted is Chris Middleton to shoot more threes. We might actually get that this season and you know, that, that should be interesting to see. Um, okay, let's, let's try to do this, Frank. Uh, it took us 25 minutes to get to it. It took us uh, three weeks to get to it. Um, Dante DiVincenzo, Summer League, (laughs) 
let the the Bucks first round pick. Uh, he Dante oh. uh, the Big Ray Goo. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, know who he is and are, are thinking about him. Um, but I guess when when you look through summer league, uh, I think it's really difficult to attempt to figure out exactly you know what Dante Divincenzo was, what Dante Divincenzo is, and what. Dante DiVincenzo will be because, you know, he missed a bunch of time and then, you know, we only got to see him in limited time in two games. In that time, though, uh, he didn't make a shot. Um, There's really no two ways about that. And again, there's a a ton of circumstances that go into all of this and uh, a number of ways that you can explain away why he didn't make a shot in those times. Um, And, you know, you can think about some of those other things, but he didn't make a shot in those two games. And um, I think no no matter if you're the most optimistic person on earth, that that's kind of concerning. And I just think, again... Summer League doesn't necessarily mean anything or everything or, you know, it, there's there's not a huge sample size to take off of that. But at the same time, he didn't make a shot and Bucks fans didn't see him make a shot. And you have to, I mean, I think at least somewhat, uh, you know, kind of frame your view through that, right? Or am, am I crazy there? Well, you know, we spent a lot of the summer rehashing the Bucks' uh, troubling record with first-round picks for the last few years, and you know, certainly having a first-round pick who scores one point in 27 minutes of summer league sort of yeah. just sort of drives the knife in a bit, uh, a bit further to uh, to our fragile uh, Bucks fan egos. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, you have to. I mean, again, we're, we'll, we have to obviously we want to look at it holistically and, and in context of what we saw. Um, you know, him missing a bunch of threes, you know, I think what he was 0 for 5 on threes, 0 for 8 overall in those 27 minutes after coming back from the groin injury. Uh, you know, again, like, I mean, I, I, at this point, people, I think, recall, I, I didn't think it, he was the most inspiring option um, in in the first round. And again, my, my logic was, you know, all right, you got a 6'4", 6'5", guy with, a short, with short arms who doesn't play point guard. Um... You know, that guy, you pretty much have a shooting guard and you hope, really, really, really hope he can shoot and play some defense because he's not going to be really a, like, sort of playmaker-ish type guy. I mean, he, you know, again, not to say he can't dribble at all, but, um, you know, watching him even this brief time at Summer League, it doesn't look like he's a guy that is ever going to be a point guard. I think I think we've seen the last couple of years, you know, as much of a great playmaker Giannis might be, Chris can do some of that. Um, you know, I do think you want a legit playmaker with Giannis on the court and um Dante we'll see I mean I don't think I saw enough to say can he be a really good defender of point guards or something like that who knows right um hopefully he eventually figures out how to run a pick and roll a little bit um but you know again I think what we saw from him obviously is he didn't make shots um and offensively sort of you know was trying to kind of fit in and and uh, you know make make some plays um but again I I don't know what to do with him you know I, I don't view him as a really high upside three point or uh offensive player i think you know again so much of it for him comes down to um what does he look like when he's on the court with with you know where he's like the fourth or fifth best player um rather than the guy who's supposed to be the second or you know first or second best player right which is often what happens with first round picks in summer league so um 
you know, if he can, you know, it's, it, he's going to be in the Tony Snell role as a starting point, right? And mm-hmm. he's a guy that, that made threes in college, and he's going to need to make threes in the NBA, and he's going to need to be able to play off ball. And, you know, hopefully he was a good cutter and um, a guy that, you know, got baskets that way as well. So you hope he can do that in the pros. But certainly what we saw in Vegas, you know, like if you were watching those games, you wouldn't have come away thinking like, oh, yeah, that, way, that guy was a first-round pick, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. he didn't really stand out. Um Although I will say this, I think the area where he he did actually impress you and and you felt like there was more there was was defensively, um, especially in that second game. Um, we saw him uh, in transition block a shot, you know, look athletic blocking a shot. Um, he had a couple steals where he was active. Um, he crashed the defensive boards a bit, you know. Again, it, it looked more like a guy who has you know not just a combine athleticism but a game athleticism like he he did look pretty functionally athletic especially defensively making some plays but again really small sample and you know worth noting i mean at at villanova really didn't get a lot of steals or blocks um wasn't really a super i think he was a very solid team defender but not a guy who who necessarily made a lot of plays so it was nice to see him look at least capable of doing that in his brief stint in summer league um and obviously you know if he can be an active defender who who does some of those things and shows flashes of that in the NBA that, that obviously will help him. Um, and again, not that they need a shooting guard, not the bucks are expecting a shooting guard to be a shot blocker or something like that. But you know, the more you can do those kinds of things um, that that's valuable, right? If you can make those kinds of plays and that's something that, you know, Tony Snell, who presumably is, you know, the, his main competition for shooting guard along with, you know, Malcolm Brogdon sliding over and getting minutes there as well. Um, you know, Tony Snell doesn't do that. Um, Tony Snell is obviously pretty athletic, but he doesn't get steals. He doesn't get blocks. He really doesn't. He's really just a positional defender, and, and there's value in being that type of player. But um, we'll be interested to see if what we saw in this very, very brief glimpse from Dante in, in Summer League, if that was, I don't know, is that indicative? Is he going to be uh, make make athletic plays defensively, or was that just kind of a random thing we saw? Um, because, again, I think you know he's a guy who, in theory, he's athletic, but how much how much, how athletically is, is he going to play on offense and defense i think that'll be an interesting thing to watch i, I would honestly agree i thought that was the thing that sort of popped to me and, yeah. and again i i don't know how much anyone can really pop in summer league and how much any of that means but i just thought in the two games that you got to see him play i just as he played defense as he you know hounded you know, whoever was handling the ball as he was hounding kind of guys off ball, whatever it may be. Like, I just thought his, his athleticism defensively sort of popped to me that as I was thinking through what Dante DiVincenzo was, I was not expecting to see those things. Um, I, I was not a hundred percent sure that, you know, you could, see that in game film that that would come across and and i did think there there were times where he he was just kind of up and in guys and very active and able to move his feet and able to you know actively bother guys uh off the dribble as they tried to attack the basket and that just wasn't something that honestly that i was really prepared for um so to me that that was kind of an exciting thing to see pop, but uh, you mentioned the idea that you know in summer league you're going to see everyone kind of move up the uh, up the totem pole, uh, up the 
organizational hierarchy, however you want to say it. Like you're going to see guys play a little bit out of position. And uh, I think I would have been a lot more comfortable if we would have seen Dante DiVincenzo really kind of take over a point guard, really take over as a shooting guard, really take over as a playmaker. And largely we didn't, we didn't really see that. And that was kind of the question I had coming in was um, out of the pick and roll. Can DiVincenzo make some plays out of, you know, off the dribble? Can he beat guys off the dribble to get to the basket? Can he, uh, you know, beat guys to create for others? Can, can he do any of those things? And largely offensively, I didn't think we saw a lot of that, um, which again, when we're talking about upside and what Dante DiVincenzo can be, the upside's kind of limited if he can't do those things. So to me, that that was one of the things I was looking for. That was something I didn't really see. Um, I thought we saw him, you know, at times find open shots on the perimeter, catch and shoot looks. Um, a number of those were missed short, which is uh, not the best sign for, you know, a, a guy as he attempts to adjust to the NBA three-point line, but it could also be just a rookie attempting to figure out where that line is and, uh, you know, get to the level of strength that he needs to hit those if it's slightly off the move, if it's off a hop, if it's off a step in, whatever it may be, uh, you know, you're going to have to do some adjusting there. And I don't know if we saw a lot to be super confident about there. So to me, as, as you go through, I, I don't know that there was anything that is going to, um, quell any concerns that you may have had about Dante DiVincenzo if you're worried about him I I think you may still be worried about him Um, but I don't know that it necessarily created new concerns if that makes any sense that you know kind of the things that you were thinking about are kind of there but at the same time you know maybe he's a little bit better defensively than I might have thought he was and you know maybe that quickness athleticism all of those you know physical tools you know flash a little bit better than i might have thought of uh because uh, like you mentioned you know there are times where guys are just combine athletes and i thought divincenzo might be one of those but i thought we saw some to suggest that you know he isn't one of those guys that 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 it is a a functional type of athleticism where he can actually kind of flash some of that and and be maybe something a little bit more so we'll see but i I don't know that we have any concrete answers after summer league yeah i think it's and i think it's important for a guy like him i mean you know we've seen it now the last couple years the bucks drafting guys who played you know or at least were in college for three years i think in both dj wilson and and um uh dante vincenzo effectively had i think one year where it was a more or less a redshirt year because they barely played um but both guys played two years at, at a very high level in college in terms of you know with, with teams that were very good um and and you know they're about as experienced from a college perspective as you're going to find with you know a high draft pick right because because these guys tend to come out after one year so um if a guy like that you know isn't able to kind of blend in pretty quickly and isn't able to um and again not to say that oh he's got to be a regular rotation player or he's got to beat out Tony Snell for a starting job. I mean he clearly there I mean I'm not expecting like him to just rocket into um you know a place right away but I mean if you're expecting Dante DiVincenzo to be like a good NBA player like if you think he's a starter if you think I mean I've seen some people suggest hey he can be a you know 13 to 15 point per game starting shooting guard or whatever. Um, 
Yeah, there, there may certainly be scenarios where he could be that, right? I mean, if his three-point sure. shot is great and he can play off Giannis and um, be that kind of complimentary guy, like I think that's possible. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, he's not a he's not a 19 year old kid. Like, you know, if you're not if you're not good or if you're not like a solid NBA player, if you don't kind of look ready for it right away, then um, you know, you got that, that's that's a bit of a I don't want to say red flag, but maybe an orange flag, <laughs> yellow flag. Yeah. Um, because again, I think part of the thesis why the Bucks liked him was because they thought that they wouldn't have to, you know, mold him. You know, he 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 is not the shapeless piece of clay that, that Trayvon Duval is. Um, he's a guy that, in theory, should know his role, know how to fit in more quickly. And um, if he doesn't, then again, I think you know. Uh, it's because he's just probably not going to be that that good of an NBA player. So, um, so I, I think, you know, again, not not to pile pressure on on Dante Divincenzo or something like that, but um, you know, he's got an opportunity to play. Um, he he's obviously got some blockers, right? I mean, Brogdon uh, on top of Snell, Sterling Brown, even Delhi. I mean, all those guys could be, you know, in that sort of secondary ball handler role behind next to a point guard or just as a regular shooting guard so there's a lot of competition so it won't, nothing's going to be handed to him but again by the same token i mean he's not he's not out here competing with you know the the, the west all-stars for for a spot, for spot in the rotation <laughs> so um I, I will be very curious i'm obviously rooting for him uh, i don't want the bucks to continue making being proven to be terrible at drafting people in the first round um but you know again it's Let's just say for our fragile uh, Bucks fan psyches, it was definitely not great to see uh, another first-round pick not even be able to play for a while for the first few games and then obviously not, not really look, look the part um, when, uh, when he did get a chance in those last couple of games. So, um, and that's why I was especially pissed off that they blew that lead in the last, uh, in the last game because I, I would have liked to see the Bucks first-round pick actually make a shot in Vegas. Um, I was... <laughs> I was uh, kind of bummed that they didn't have another game to, to play and hopefully get him off the schneid. But um, unfortunately, you know, it didn't, didn't happen. And now we'll have to wait, uh, you know, uh, another couple months before he can, we can possibly see him make a, make a shot in a, in a quote-unquote real NBA basketball game. You know, fingers crossed that it happens. Uh, we'll have to hit up uh, Steve Von Horn and make sure that he's got the doves ready for when it does happen yeah. uh, for, for those to be released. So uh, we will see kind of what happens with DiVincenzo and see if he's able to, you know, you know make an impact. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to have a huge chance because you look at the, the wings for the Bucks and uh, you look at the point guard situation for the Bucks and, you know, maybe there isn't a ton of opportunity there, but also they're going to be looking for depth. And I, I do think he'll, we'll definitely get some chances. So we will kind of see how all of that goes. All right, Frank. um, I think that's going to be it for us for tonight. I'm happy to have you back. Thanks for, thanks for actually, uh, you know, being able to be here and I want to apologize for covering the Brewers and uh, making all of those very late nights to record um, where it just ended up not being possible, but we're back and we're having a good time and that should be great. So hopefully all of you enjoyed that Uh, for Frank Madden. I'm Eric name. This has been lockdown bucks. We will talk to all of you guys later.